What's going on, guys? Liv here. I'm a bit speechless about our guest this week because our conversation became so real, so authentic, and so deep into the spirit realm right off the bat. I felt really willing to go into the core of the things. What is God? Who are we as queer-identified people within our faith? Things like this I haven't had the chance to talk about with my guests as much. And so I'm so excited to have Dr. Linnell R. Plummer on the show today. She is a clinical professional counselor and a educator of graduate students at John Hopkins University. She's a badass. I mean, we use this word in the episode a lot. She is a total badass. I was so inspired by Dr. Plummer's story and cannot wait to share it with all of you. And the songs are pretty great too. So I hope you stick around. This is an episode you do not want to miss. Stay tuned. Welcome to my gay playlist and stories from outside the closet. My name is Liv Lombardi and I am your host. This is a podcast about coming out and the music that inspires our journeys. To me, coming out is an act of honesty. It's something that we do every day when we decide to live our lives as authentically as possible. Where are my dreamers at? Where are my freaks and geeks and weirdos and losers and nerds? If you were ever told you don't have a place here, I'm saying this table is set for you. So take a seat and tell me about it. And we'll start with this. What are your stories and what are your songs? If you'd like to follow along and listen to each guest's particular gay playlist as you stream our episodes, head over to mygayplaylist.com. There you'll find each episode's corresponding song list. Until then, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. So to get started, I, I was doing a bit of a deep dive into your work and your bio, more of like a, a formal sort of introduction to who you are. You are Dr. Linnell Plummer. You're a United States military veteran and the CEO and clinical director of Onyx Therapy Group. And that's based out of DC area, right? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. So we're headquartered in DC and we have offices in Maryland and Pennsylvania and Minnesota. There's so many questions I have for you, um, especially with your work that you're doing within the Black community and how you're serving them to empower them. And I think by virtue of that, you're empowering all all humankind, I could say. I don't know if that sounds cheesy, but it's just such important work. But before we get into that, you know, you you talk a lot about uh, in, in your bio, at least, and from what I've read about your work online, which, by the way, has been featured on like a slew of TV stations like CNN, ABC7, NBC4, just like so badass. I'm like, okay, I'm, <laughs> I'm about to talk to a true badass here. I love that. <laughs> but it's uh, from what I've read, you really are rooted in emotional, spiritual, and cultural healing and how that can be attainable for all people. So my first sort of jumping off point is, I don't know if it's the right question to say, where did that come from? But where where were you coming from sort of in your life to reach that point within within your work? I guess what I'm wondering is, what was growing up like? I know you're from California originally, and then you went to Howard, you got your master's from Howard, and then your doctorate from Marymount. And then now you're, you're working as a, a counselor and uh, helping people heal. So what was, what was your journey like to get to that place? Yeah, it, it was tough. I, <laughs> it was a tough, it was a tough childhood. It was a tough upbringing in the work. We call it adverse childhood experiences. So it was a lot of um, adverse experiences that occurred in my childhood that were heavily influenced by poverty, as well as the intersection of race and gender. So politics were the backdrop of our community, but not in a way that we were talking about it. We didn't talk about like this is the political landscape and subsequently this is why we're having unemployment issues and subsequently that's why we're having the these fears that are showing up and that are now turning into mental health issues and mm. creating traumatic experiences. It, we didn't talk like that. That's how I get to talk now as, as a doctor. But then it was more of, oh, we're all kind of living in poverty and we are doing the best that we can every day just to survive. And, and, and when you say we, do you mean the community that you're in or, or more specifically your family or, or both? 
uh, both. I my family was it was heavily rooted in the community. So mm-hmm. when there was a point where my mom left the the neighborhood that my grandparents my grandparents and great grandparents were in, but we were still part. So then that just immersed us in a new community, mm-hmm. um, but still very much close to our family. So a, a reflection of both, a reflection okay. of both. Uh, what what we saw in our family was similar to what similar to what I was seeing in my friends' families as well. So it was mm-hmm. a, a parallel uh, a parallelism, a parallel experience. So that meant that meant that my childhood was rooted in like this kind of trauma. But until I became an adult, I didn't realize my perspective, and my perspective has always been a glass half full kind of perspective. So mm-hmm. even as I was seeing some of this internal and external destruction around me. I was also seeing um, moments of hope. I was also seeing some people being able to exhale, uh, exhale and exhale. And I was also seeing um, the possibility for me to to be out of that particular situation. So it meant that I, I, so I became really interested in how people made decisions. I became really interested in the decision-making process as a young person mm. and, uh, and the psyche. But of course, again, we didn't call it that. So that, so as I started to understand that a little bit more, that's kind of what, what led me into understanding mental health. I'll also say that I grew up, my great grandfather was a, a preacher and um although my mom was uh, addicted to drugs and my father in the very beginning wasn't there um what i had consistently was this um this understanding that spirit is there spirit mm-hmm. is around spirits serve as guide um there are voice like intuition that we kind of process and um and that helps make decisions that helps as guidance. And so that's how spirituality in the very beginning, I'm, I'm talking to you right now, as I think about who I was at like four and five years old, mm. because I had to be very aware at that age based off of the community that I was growing up in. Uh, and then as I got older, you know, we started calling it different things. The decision, what you said about making decisions, I think that is such an integral part of healing and moving forward. Uh, if we're talking about, and, and, you know, you're the expert here, so I'm just going to precursor anything I say from now on, as I am going to speak from my own experience, having been in therapy (laughs) for, you know, the last 10 years of my life, having done a lot of work to become aware of who I am, who I want to be, how I want to grow. So, you know, if there's anything also that I say that you're like, actually it's this, please feel free. I'm going to school today with this conversation. I feel like. But all of that is to say decisions. That's something that I've come to learn uh, more recently, working through, uh, very diligently working through my own trauma, PTSD from experiences I had, you know, in my early 20s and realizing that they were sort of already written because of my childhood. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a decision that we make to heal. And, and, yeah. and there are decisions that we make to get to a point in a certain to a certain extent, the decisions that we make are part of why we experience pain, I think. And then we need to make the decision to not let uh, those painful moments dictate the rest of our life. Yeah, Yeah. they change your beliefs, right? Uh, But nothing can break your spirit. It's what I've come to learn. Uh, And so I think that that's just... I, I so important and, and everything that you, you know, were just talking about, it's it exactly, it hits the nail right on the head because what, what do we have if we don't have that spirit inside? It's an empty existence, which, you know, for a nihilist, maybe that works. I'm not, I'm not part of that group. I couldn't say that I, I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the thing that a lot of people don't take into consideration. We put a lot of emphasis on feelings which are extremely important aspects of who we are and our identity and our, our experiences. However, feelings are fleeting. Feelings are mm. not things that are constant and consistent. So a few minutes ago, we're having some tech issues and I'm like, oh boy, this is, you know, I'm, I'm frustrated with myself because I probably should have done something differently. And then we start talking and I feel, 
oh, this is relief and I feel comfortable and I feel good, right? And and mm -hmm. that is how feelings work. If we just make decisions just based off of our feelings, we kind of don't get to experience the fullness of life. If I just made a feeling on my frustration and said, I, I can't do this anymore, I'm too frustrated, right? <laughs> then that means that we don't have an opportunity for us to spend time together and whomever else will listen to this podcast or maybe watch clips of it, they don't get the benefit of of having a shared experience with us, right? Even though they're not here in the moment, they will share that, that moment with us later. So the challenge is that many people just move on their feelings and they don't sit and think about their decisions and make very intentional decisions with their feelings involved, but not based on their feelings. Right, exactly, yes. All the yes, all the yes, <laughs> totally. Okay, so let's get in. Let's get into the playlist because I have so many things on my mind that I just want to jump out at you with. Uh, but I, let's let the songs guide us. Okay. I I loved getting your playlist. Admittedly, a lot of the music on a lot of these tunes I've never heard before, and I. I listen to a lot of music. I make music. I write it. I sing it. I play it. And there's something about the feeling of these songs that really keyed me into, I don't know if I have a, a better way to say it, except generational faith and mm -hmm. spirit. Maybe spirit is the right word. There was a, a spirituality and also a celebration and joy of what of maybe what you love and, and what these songs talk about in mm -hmm. a, a way that it, it held reverence to it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just listening through, if I was going to go through, we have now correct me on the pronunciation of, of the first uh, song. It's Oya. Uh -huh. Oya. Oya. Uh -huh. And the group is Ibei. Is that how you say it? Uh -huh. Ibei. Ibei. We have, you have a lot of India Ari on here, which is just like, that's church <laughs> right there. There's Erica Badu. Yeah. Um, there's this awesome song by Fred Hammond, We're Blessed, which I, I would love to spend a little time talking about. Yeah. But the first song on the playlist, Oya. Oya? Oya. Mm -hmm. Oya. Okay. So I, I loved this song. I loved reading about Ibei, an Afro-French Cuban duo they're twin sisters okay so i'm an identical twin so immediately like are you yes yes <laughs> so hearing two voices as beautiful as theirs sing this just sort of mysterious like unspoken they're calling something right and they felt, really felt like they were calling back to something uh, and then reading about them they sing in english french spanish and yoruba is that how you say uh -huh. it uh-huh. Which Yerba. is, yeah, which is uh, the language that was spoken by their ancestors before they were taken to Cuba in the 1700s as part of the slave trade. That's and, right. And so I just like, hold the phone. We could talk about this song I probably the whole time. <laughs> so I'm really curious to hear your take on it, why you started your playlist with it and, and what it means to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oya is an Orisha of um, the Yoruba or Ife, uh, Ifa faith. So the the Yoruba people and Ifa was one of the original religions and, mm -hmm. the, and the original religions of some of the original people based out of the continent of Africa. And so it was the practices of um, spirituality, the practice of connecting with uh, our ancestors, the practice of connecting with our, um, our, our forms of nature. Um, some people call them angels. Of course, in Ifa, we refer to them as Orishas. And so when our ancestors were transported over to um, this new world, in the Caribbean, they were able to kind of keep some, some of their religious practices by covering it up with Catholicism. And so because there were so many deities in Catholicism and so many angels, and there were also a, a number of Orisha in uh, Ifa, they were able to just kind of make it blend. So who you guys call, like who C Catholics call the Virgin Mary is also who in Ifa we refer to as Yimiya or Yemoja. And so mm -hmm. Oya is one of those Orisha who was able to kind of sustain themselves. And that happened in the Caribbean, in the, in the upper part of the United States, what we 
you know, the upper part of the Americas, what we now call the United States, the, the colonizers were practicing more of a Protestant religion. Mm-hmm. And so there was not the room for as many angels and saints and orishas because it was based off of the father the son and the holy ghost which meant that folks who were practicing ifa in the homeland of of africa they couldn't bring the religion with them because there was no way to hide it um and so they lost some senses of coping mechanisms because if we have hundreds of orisha and 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 in protestant religion there's only three main spirits then then there's no way to like blend it all together right so the the black folks of the United States are often uh, disconnected with some of the ancestral spiritualities of our ancestors because we couldn't maintain it and still survive physically. However, in the Caribbean, they were able to maintain elements of their spirituality. That's important to say because they have their their Cuban roots. And so they have the connection to the spirituality because they were able to still have it within their culture versus some black folks in the United States. As I started to, I've always been a spiritual person. Like I mentioned, my great grandfather was a Baptist preacher, um, but I've always thought about spirit and religion aside. I always thought about spirit aside from religion, not as one whole thing, that they Mm -hmm. were two separate things. And so as I continued in my religion, as I continued in my spiritual practices, I also was fine in my religious practices but I also grew up knowing that I was different because I had this attraction to girls that we couldn't necessarily talk about. And in the church, it was always condemned, right? So I, I have this love for the Bible and for the Quran and for like religious books. And I have this love for community and learning from elders and, you know, dissecting information, which is what happens a lot in church. Um, but then I also had this weird fear because I didn't know if the pro- the pastor was going to start talking against gay people and I was still closeted. Right. So like, then I would get these moments of like discomfort. And so I started to have this weird uh, relationship with religion. Mm-hmm. And I, and eventually I came out and in coming out, I also left the church and, and, I, and there's been grief in, in some of that as well. Right. But I also, it also forced me to think about my spirituality in a much deeper way, which then exposed me to Ifa. And as I got exposed to Ifa or Yoruba, I started listening to music that was a reflection of Ifa. And one of the groups I found was Ibe. And Ibe is twins. That's the uh, Orisha of the twins. Mm-hmm. So that is also why this group is, is for the twins. In listening to Ibe and listening to the music, I just, you know, would get comfortable and confident in that. I eventually went to Cuba a few years ago and um, it, it, it allowed me to have a deeper understanding of Ifa uh, as well. So Oya is one of my songs because Oya is an Orisha of like power and determination. She in, in the, the kind of proverbs of Ifa, she's one that is she's like a, a badass, like. I don't take any kind of mess and, you know, you want to act like this and I'm going to act like that. And she's known for like, also um, she's known by her color red and kind of the, the thunder that she kind of creates and being like, I don't care about, I can take care of everything by myself. And, but in the song, you see that it's peaceful. They're calling for, Oh yeah, because they want that strength, but it's also not a, you know, bust down bust down the windows kind of situation either so it's this interesting kind of mix and blend so that's a long story about how this becomes one of my favorite songs but um i start off with that because oya is is a woman and she is powerful and she has both the, the strength of feminine energy but also what we in this world call masculine energy which is really just a different form of power right um and she embodies it she embodies it both in in a in a beautiful kind of badass you know got this kind of way what you were saying about that disconnect right between knowing that the community that you had within your church and learning from elders and and wanting and wanting to be part of that and yeah. then also feeling it's a bit isolating right like well if that's true that i love these things but also the knowledge that I, I have a connection to my own self and what is true of my own self is directly in adversity 
to what they're telling me is right, quote unquote. How does that fit? How does that fit? And, you know, my own experience of, of, of those things was it was a grieving process. It took me until my late 20s to realize like, okay, I can have the spirituality that I choose. Like it comes back to decisions again, right? Yeah. I can decide to honor my God, mm-hmm. to, to honor God, not even my God, and also let all of the other things be true. Yes. It, there was a lot of pain in how I came to know of what the idea of God was. Yeah. And I don't know if, if you had your own process of, of this. I found you know, only a few years ago that I had to heal even the language around God. Yeah. Heal, heal the idea of it, heal the sort of preconceived notions that were put into my head that God is a man in the sky. I still, when I pray, like my go-to is I see that image. And then I'm like, yeah. no, Liv, that, is that working for you today? I don't think so. <laughs> uh, so I'm curious if what that might've been like in your own experience as well. Yeah, yeah. I mentioned I mentioned a little bit ago that my mom was um I'm an I'm an only child on my mom's side and um uh, my mom's only child rather. And and so I while my mom was strongly addicted to drugs, it meant that I spent a lot of time by myself. Mm-hmm. And but I never I never really felt alone there would be moments of loneliness, but I never really felt alone. Not until I got older did I realize that it was the presence of um, God that kind of made me feel secure, right? Mm -hmm. It made me feel like, okay. Um, And it was a horrible, a horrible time, but I I didn't see it as a horrible time per se. I was just kind of like, okay, you know, and I move on. So I've always felt connected to God, always. The challenge was religion, and I couldn't, I couldn't reconcile whether the God that they were speaking to in terms of this like vengeful, hateful God was mm. the same God that I was experiencing. Now, that doesn't mean that I didn't believe that I was getting, I would get corrected by God or put on the right path or whatever the case may be. Um, convicted is, I think, a term that's often used in the church. I did feel those moments, but I also never felt like God was hateful. So when it was time for me to come out, it was really a whole bunch of prayer that mm-hmm. happened. Like, okay, and, and it would start in like my dreams and these images and I, and I would go to God, like, God, what, is, what are you trying to show me, right? What, what do you want me to do with this? Uh, and eventually, it, it became too much pressure. And I was like, I have to come out. It was too much pressure to just kind of not. Now, some of my closest friends and family knew and, and everything like that. I promise you live shortly after I came out, my life has been blessed 100 fold. Mm-hmm. My life, it was a freedom that came upon me after that time frame, And I think it's because it, it was kind of God's way of saying, I need you to be authentic. I need you to show people that they can still be blessed. They can still have these wonderful lives. They can do all these things and they could be gay. They could be bisexual. They could be trans because our churches keep telling us that we can't, we can't be blessed if we're gay. We can't be blessed if we're trans. We can't, you know, but it, as soon as I did, my life changed in amazing ways. And I was like, there's no way that this isn't of God. Right. Like this. I, I ne- so I don't have a fear of, say, going to hell in the traditional ways and anything like that, because I know that I am living in the life that God has created for me. And I've been obedient and I've been blessed since being obedient in that regard. That's beautiful. What, so what were some of those, if, you, if I can ask for a little specificity, what were some of the ways that those blessings manifested themselves once you came out? Aside from what I can only imagine was an incredible lightness of being to be yeah. able to not have the masks and the armor up and, and not be able to speak to certain things just by, because you're in the closet or, you know, hiding to a certain extent. Yeah. I live strongly by the values of, of integrity, mm. by the value of integrity. And that means authenticity and some transparency as well. And that is in conflict 
with integrity is is it aligned with my my culture as a black person but transparency is not necessarily because it, it's not always safe for black people to be transparent and so it, what it meant is that i had to revolutionize myself if you will and so coming out wasn't just a matter of telling folks that i was bisexual coming out was also a matter of saying i am bisexual and and you're going to accept that <laughs> because i accept it and god accepts it and this is just kind of what it is so some of those blessings mean that yes lightness but it also means that i get a, an alignment with my truth that i don't have to walk and and be as fearful that i'm gonna be found out or walk and have this concern that's kind of on my shoulders and on my back um, it means that i could kiss my wife in the street and not be worried about it in those blessed and that feels like freedom um mm -hmm. to me if freedom is important again any types of freedom is important again because as we live with our ancestral background freedom is not something that my ancestors always had there were periods where they had freedom and then there were periods where they didn't and so any chance i get to feel free and to create freedom it feels like i'm reconnecting with my ancestors and that i'm opening doors for to to break some of those generational trauma cycles and then, of course, in the materialistic form, it um, it manifested because my business started to grow. Mm -hmm. My my children started to to do better academically. I was able to uh, foster relationships with other folks that are in the community and validate people's experiences, which are all satisfying for me. And then again, going back to my business being able to grow, that meant that my business was able to continue to expand, and that meant that there were opportunities for more people to have employment and that meant there were opportunities for us to feed into the community differently and then for me that meant that i also was able to break um break the chain of poverty because that's how we kind of started off and so I, we don't live in poverty my kids don't live in poverty and one of the things that really happened is that once i lived in freedom i stopped living in fear and so i started doing things that were a bit more strategically risk taking but also extremely financially beneficial for my family it's all so in, empowering just to hear it uh and uh, the biggest takeaway is once you started living in freedom you couldn't live in fear i don't think you can have fear where there is absolute freedom they right. just don't go together if you'd like to stream dr Plummer's playlist as you listen to our episode or want to check it out afterwards head to mygayplaylist.com in the playlist tab you'll find every episode's corresponding song list and stay tuned there's more coming at you right now let's go into the next song on your playlist brown skin and this one's by india Ari. <laughs> i i love this song there's such a sensual uh love and joy in the lyrics and the imagery that it brings about and there's i think it's in the chorus she talks about uh she says something like where you end and i begin like i don't know where you end and i begin and oof i've had my own like transcendental sort of moments um loving you know with my wife just having that wholeness and that oneness yeah and also in a not romantic sense with the people that i really love my twin sister who is half of half of me i how many memories do i have sitting quietly with her growing up throughout our whole lives and i just hear something in my head and I respond to it. And it's something that she's thinking, you know, we've had wow. moments like that. And to me, that is one of my biggest gifts from God to have that understanding. And, and now, you know, sharing my life with my wife to, to share so many, so many loving moments with her. For you going into the lyrics of this song and also the title brown skin to be a black woman in this world where to me, I feel like becoming more and more divisive in a lot of ways. And I acknowledge that I am white. I've grown up with a lot of privilege and I have so much to learn. It's always been true that the things that we're seeing in the news and what people are protesting about has always been there. It's just more magnified, right? Yeah. I'm curious to know what that means to you to be a black woman and to have that joy uh and and love for who you are and how you look and what that experience is and and also the other side of that all of your take on this maybe through the lens of indiari's lyrics yeah 
I, I love, I love my brown skin. I love the way that it looks, you know, in the winter time when it's not as vibrant. I love the way it looks in the summertime when the undertones are glowing in different ways. I love the way it looks when I put coconut oil on every morning or, you know, when I, when I'm a little ashy and I, I need to put some coconut oil on. I, I love this skin that I have and I recognize that it is a, it is a gift from God and it is also combined with my joy. It is also a, um, a, a personal, again, revolution against what people tell me I should be feeling in this skin. Mm-hmm. I grew up in, in Los Angeles in the eighties and we didn't have a lot of black um, actresses and actors on TV. And those that we did, the images that they portrayed was not always positive. And the folks who did have the positive images, their skin wasn't as deep brown as mine mm-hmm. or their hair didn't look like mine. But the people who had the deep brown skin or the hair that looked like mine were portrayed as, you know, the addicts or the prostitutes or the the negative folks. And not that any of those folks are negative prostitutes nor addicts. They have experiences that led them to those decisions and those behaviors. But it was, we were never portrayed in positive ways. So I grew up at different points feeling really insecure about my skin being so dark. I wanted to have lighter skin and I wanted to have different hair. I would walk around the house with um, towels on my head, wishing that my hair was longer. And, you know, I won't, I won't lie and deny. I, there were moments where I looked at a couple skin lightening products to see what my skin hmm. would look like if it was lighter. And if my world would be different because I was lighter, because the folks that were lighter skin were living these fabulous lives, right? And hmm. they had all the glamour and live. I like glamour. I like looks, right? Who doesn't? So- <laughs> I mean, yeah, I hear you on that. And I wanted that life. And I, I knew internally that that was my life. I just didn't know how it was going to be my life. Mm-hmm. And I was dark skinned, right? So as I got older and started reading more books, I started, I've always been a nerd. I, 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 I'm, I'm such a complex person in terms of how I grew up, but I would read these books and then I was now being exposed to darker skinned people in beautiful kind of ways. And I was like, oh, it is possibility. There is possibility for me to have this beautiful life and be in this dark skin. Mm. And what does that mean? And then I, I went to Howard, my my illustrious university um, that I love with my heart. And it completely confirmed everything that I knew was true and that I could be wonderful and beautiful and divine and be dark skin, be brown skin, um, and that the two were not separate. And so that song is a song of self-acceptance. It's a song of self-love. It's a song of validation. It is a reminder that all the things that I felt are true, that my intuition is strong and that, uh, and that this beautiful brown skin is, uh, is truly a gift. It's a gift from God for me and subsequently now for my children who share my skin tone and, um, and, 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 and for anybody, any person who questioned whether they could do beautiful and great things and be clothed in this brownness because it is, it was really political, but we didn't know it at the time, but we didn't know. I didn't know that I could have a beautiful life and still have brown skin. Mm. Do you find if, if I could ask a bit more oriented toward your work as a therapist that I'm sure affects many black women, if not all. Yeah. How is that? How are, how are you as someone who's helping heal, um, navigating that with, with your clients? Without being too technical, there's, there's three major, um, approaches that I use from a clinical perspective. There's the relational cultural therapy. There is feminist therapy. And then there's our racial identity models. And so I find a way to incorporate all of the elements of those models along with my clinical theoretical perspective, which is cognitive. So a lot of it, most of my work is around people's thoughts and how they're how there may be distortions in some of their thoughts that are subsequently preventing them from living the life that they want to live, but not blaming them for these distortions, rather acknowledging how these distortions kind of originated 
mm-hmm. and and determining how to dispel that. Similar to what you said a second ago in terms of as you were talking about, you know, God, if if this is what you want to experience in this moment, is God still this man that's in the sky? Is that working for you in this moment? Because that was a thought and it ended up for you being a distortion that you had to reconstruct so that you could have some peace in your life in that moment. And hopefully in all, all, all elements of your life. So what I'm talking about in terms of the brown skin is something that's often referred to as colorism. And so we as black people are facing racism and then women are also face, are also being put in this patriarchal kind of category. And then, and then we have colorism within our community. So there's these three major political elements of, of oppression that causes black girls from the very beginning to question their divinity. Mm. And, um, and so, yes, I do a lot of work in that and I bring it to the forefront. It's, it, it's technique called broaching. So instead of waiting for them to bring it up to me, I ask them, what does it mean for you in that moment when you experience that, that moment with your supervisor? What did it mean for you as a black woman? What did it mean for you as a, as a brown skinned black woman? And that forces them to have to start reconciling the, the images and the messages that were being told to them, as well as how they now interact with the world because of those messages. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just taking that in. That's. It's a, it's a, it's a lot of work and it's emotional work to be in the space with clients. Um, so it's also why I only see, you know, I only have a few clients on my caseload and I only see a few clients a day. I don't, I can't see clients all day long because, mm-hmm. um, because I get so into the work with them. It's a lot to talk about, you know, politics without talking about politics. It's a lot about talking about identity without specifically talking about identity. A person is coming in and talking about how, you know, their boss treats them unfairly and we have to disconnect it, how their boss treats them unfairly and subsequently they need to determine if they want to go get a new job. That's why they're coming to counseling. They need to figure out whether they need to get a new job. And we, and on the back end, I'm talking to them about their brown skin, you know? So (laughs) it's a process, but it is one that is very strategic and and well-practiced for me and, and something that has been successful for me and my clients. That's amazing. I, you talked about those three pillars or sections that you work within. And then it's just so in- interesting to me that it's maybe reflected in a certain way, but also affected. There's these three sort of lenses that Black women are being affected or people within the Black community are being affected by. There's politics. You said politics, colorism, and what was the third one? Well, what I was, what I, how I laid it out was racism, because that's racism. something that, mm-hmm. that's huge. And then the patriarchal element and then the colorism that's when, within there as well. So like the racism is really broad in the United States. And then the patriarchal element is, is also woven, but it's not in all experiences. But then the colorism happens specifically within, well, it can happen in communities that are not just black, but black people have an element of colorism within themselves as well. Uh, to be a little bit more transparent, my nephew was visiting me this weekend and he said, uh, he's 14, uh, the same as my son. And he said, yeah, TT, I'm going to, when I get older, I'm going to have light skinned kids. And I said, well, why? Mm. And he said, because light skinned kids have better lives than brown skinned kids. And I said, okay, well, why? And he said, I don't know. That's just how it is. And I Mm. said, well, is it the truth? And he said, yes, the truth. And so then we had to go into a conversation of like giving different examples, but also allowing him to process that information. And then also having a conversation with my sister, like was, you know, what, what are some of the messages that he's hearing aside from her, but what are some of the other messages that he's hearing? But here he is, he's 14 and he's already planning his future. And, and for him, he wants to be able to protect his children. And he thinks that protecting them would be best if they were cloth in this light skin. So going back to the song, the brown skin is also, we are also, rebelling against some of the the messages 
just by being brown skin and being in joy, just by being brown skin and still tanning, just by being brown skin and wanting to highlight that is a is a sense of political rebellion, but also a sense of internal joy and and allowing ourselves to have high self-esteem and worth in a world that has told us that the darker our skin, the less happy we should be. And that's not just in the black community. We see it in in native uh, in Indian cultures, Indian cultures of India. Um, and, and in many Asian cultures, traditional or more typical, not traditional, more, more, um, what we consider Asian cultures as well. So it's happening in many places around the world. Um, I just live it from the experience of a, a black woman in the U S you know, so much of, so much of what you were saying, I, it keeps coming back to, I just this first song. Oh yeah. I mean, what you said about coming out, what you said about how you're, how you're navigating and, you know, the political rebellion of being, uh, being in joy and in love with your black skin, how that is rebelling against. That is so what you described of. Oh yeah. That deity, that, that idea that we're not going to break the windows in, but I'm going to let you know that I'm here and there's strength in, there's strength in my story and there's strength in my presence. I, I love it. I love it so much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Liv. <laughs> of course. So I, I want to touch on maybe one or two more songs before we end. Uh, I, if you could just chat with me a little bit about why you put Bag Lady on, on this, on this playlist. I, it's a track by Erica Badu. <laughs> I, I love the track. I mean, like as a musician, the production, just the vibe of it is, is cool. Um, but why did you put it on your playlist? <laughs> Cause the title is like maybe ironic. I mean, what you said about, you know, wanting to, to live in glamour and stuff. And, and clearly you have a very full life that I don't, <laughs> you're not a bag lady. So I'm just curious, like what this track is doing on your playlist, how it speaks to you to a certain extent. Oh, I was a bag lady. I was, I carried all of that with me. I carried the trauma. I carried um, the insecurities. I carried um, shame and, and, um, I carried fear and I carried it. I carried it with me. And at the same time, I carried hope and I carried light and I carried um, anticipation and I carried faith and I carried vision and I carried expectation, but I carried those other bags too. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I had to go through my own healing process which is which was painful, and I'm at a different place of healing now. To uh, as a side note, I I healed from a lot of the things of my past, and now my kids are older, and I'm experiencing something different, and I'm married, and I'm experiencing something different, and so that means that there's other elements of healing that has to be done. Sometimes people think that you go through a healing process and you heal everything at one time, and then you're done, and, and you're done, and that's not the case, yeah. right? That's not the case. So I'm at a different place of healing, a different healing experience in my life right now. But I did live, I carried a lot of bags. I carried a lot of shame. I carried a lot of that. And as the song kind of talks about, you can't move forward if you're carrying all of that stuff. You know, the, even the visualization of a, a woman carrying all of this stuff, she's going to get to that destination. If she is determined, she is going to get to that destination. But she may be tired and she can't enjoy it. She may have a different level of emotional fatigue. She may, you know, be frustrated with herself. She may be frustrated with people who didn't help her carry the bags. Like she's going to get there. Having the bags doesn't mean you can't get to your goal. It, it means that it may slow you down and that mm -hmm. you may not experience the joy that you wanted to experience when you got to this particular destination. So Lib, I had to let go of those bags. I had to let go. You had to put them down. I had to put them down. And along the way, we're going to be uh, honest along the way sometimes I may be tempted uh, to pick up a couple new bags oh for sure yeah <laughs> that don't look like the same it's like oh well this bag is different I'm gonna pick this up wait uh -huh. a minute this kind of uh -huh. feels the same smells the same yeah. uh -huh. doing uh -huh. the same thing as that other bag I put down uh -huh. a while ago. what the hell yeah you yeah. Gotta yeah yeah that's to me that's <laughs> the universe god life whatever you want to call it it's it's God saying like, Hey, I don't think you learned yet here. Yeah. This is a reminder. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes, and sometimes the new bag looks the same, smells the same, et cetera, but it's a little lighter. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, or sometimes 
it's the same heaviness and it looks a little different. Like it, it really, what the song means to me though, is that there has to be, because again, decisions, there has to be an intentional time of which you say, I have got to let go of this. Mm-hmm. I cannot continue to hold on to this because it is not moving me forward at all. This is not productive. And the challenge is that some people call that uh, suppressing, right? Like you just pushed it down. No, so you have to let stuff go, like literally let it go. It doesn't serve you any well anymore. So you do something different. Uh, and so that's what that means to me. I also love Erica Badu because she is, she is also a badass. She shows up in the world Hell and yeah, she, she has is. her own style. You know, she wears her big hats and her, you know, her interesting shoes. And sometimes her clothes are looking one way and another. She like, she shows up with this style and this confidence and this ease of this is who I am. And at the same time, Liv, she is vulnerable. At the mm. same time, she, you can feel where some of her pain was and she let it go. And then she picked up power instead. And she, she is the embodiment of all of, of that. There, there is power in that vulnerability and in letting stuff go. Yeah, totally. Yeah. That's, I think where our our truest power comes from Yeah, yeah. is our vulnerable places. I talk about that on the show so much. Mm -hmm. For me, I'm always grateful when a guest brings up vulnerability or comes up in the conversation because it's it's just it's a daily remind it's a daily task and also it's such a good reminder to to my own life like just let the control go you know and sometimes it's scary as hell too though right oh hell yeah it's scary it's so scary sometimes it's like oh my god if i'm this vulnerable and you can't help me and you can't respond then what what else do i have right like mm-hmm. And and I find that a lot in couples counseling and in marriage work. People want to be vulnerable. They want to do it, but then they are afraid. Like, can you help me? And can you, can, not even can you help me, can you stand with me? And sometimes people realize that their partners can't. And and then what does that mean? Some of the, the most humbling moments I've had in relationships and in, in, in my life, but more specifically recently, you know, newly married, there's, mm-hmm. there's, there's times when it's like, we're not going to see eye to eye on this. We're just right. not. And right. I need to know that you at least can, you know, like any person, I want to know that you at least see me where I am. Yeah. Uh, and just simply saying, you know, like I'm in pain and I need help or yeah. I'm, I'm feeling alone and I need help. Yeah. I don't need you to see that how I see it is the only way that it is because that's yeah. not going to happen. But to say, I, I need help. I'm in pain. Yeah. I need help. I'm suffering. I need help. Or, yeah. and conversely, I see you're in pain. Yeah. Can I help? It just goes yeah. such a long way. And that is such a vulnerable thing to, to own up to or to yeah. just allow to be true. Yeah. 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 Totally. Yeah. Yeah. That's the work though. It's the work. It is. It is. And it's hard work. And, it's humbling work and sometimes it's embarrassing work and it's and sometimes we experience shame but in the end we experience also if if we can stay consistent with it we also experience the beauty and we experience you know the 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 divinity of it and we just have to stay consistent and it has to be a decision it has to be a decision mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. We there's one the last song in your playlist. Let's just quickly touch on it. We're blessed. Fred Hammond is this to me. This is a worship song. I mean, it's like full on congregation singing, uh, celebrating, and just being in the spirit. Was this a song you heard growing up? Is this a song that you you know that you sing currently when when you when you go to church? Where is this song uh, and how does it fit into your life? That song is is a song of spirit spirituality for me it is created by somebody of the church and sung often in churches but i guess it kind of culminates much of what we talked about here today in terms of spirit in terms of reconciliation with religion in terms of me experiencing my full blessings or what i now think about as full blessings after i came out it's me thinking about the world in a glass half full kind of place like mm-hmm. i am blessed even in moments of of sorrow, I am blessed. I lost my brother a couple months ago in February. I'm so sorry. 
And yeah, it's, it's been it's been a challenge. But even in that, looking at where some of those blessings are coming from, looking at how I, I, I could still see the world differently, looking at how we are still blessed, like even in the moments of, of sadness and in sorrow and in pain, we are still blessed. And then on the flip side of that, we are blessed. We live these lives that we get to create, but part, part, partially create. Let me not say that we create everything, but these lives where our decisions has allowed, have allowed us to experience certain things. So I listen to that song when I am sad. I listen to that song when I am happy. I listen to that song, you know, as I want to share an experience with somebody. And I listen to that song when I'm in isolation and need to reconnect to God. So it's one of those the songs that just kind of is is very culminating in that way. So many gems that you've thrown out today. I am so grateful for for this conversation and so many of the ideas and that you've brought to the surface. I'm going to be thinking about a lot of stuff today. So I'm super grateful. I have one last yeah. question though. Yeah. If you could tell your younger self, whether it was in the church, not knowing where to fit, uh, not having come out yet, or just not wanting to wanting to be different. If you could tell her something to help, knowing what you know now, with the wisdom that you've gained from your own experience, what would it be? The first thing that comes to mind is that I probably wouldn't say anything right away. I would cry with her. I would hold mm. her and I would cry with her and I would let her cry. Oh, and I'm getting emotional as I'm talking about it, Liv. I grew up where where crying was considered a weakness. Mm-hmm. And I and I was confused a lot about a lot of different things. And I didn't always allow myself to cry in the midst of my confusion. So if I were to be with my younger self, I would say, go ahead and cry. Cry, baby. Like, let it out. Purify. Let it go. And then I would say, it's going to, uh, you know, it's going to be okay. And that sounds very cliche. but I think about how I raise my children now and sometimes they get anxious about something. I say, it's okay, baby. It's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. I don't think anybody told me that being bisexual was going to be an experience that I could fully live and it would be okay. You know, it, so I had a lot of fear. So I would say, you know what? You can't see it right now because it's 1988 (laughs) and you can't see it right now because it's 1998. But give it a little bit more time and baby, you are going to live a full life and and it's going to be OK. And and it's OK to cry and let it let it out. Let it out. Yes. Crying heals the soul. That is. Yes. That's the stuff right there. That's such a beautiful, beautiful sentiment and something something we should all do. Just yeah. go to that. Go to that young, younger you and, and cry it out. It's going to be OK. Yeah. Dr. Plummer, thank you so much for your time. I'm still feeling inspired and it's been a couple weeks since we talked. If you're listening and you want to hear more about what Dr. Plummer does, her work with Onyx Therapy Group, you can follow them on Instagram at Onyx Therapy Group. You can follow her personal Instagram page, Mahogany Sunshine. You can also check out a new LinkedIn Live series she started called Spilling the Tea with Dr. P, where she interviews colleagues and friends in different industries to discuss the intersectionality of mental health in those industries. This show was created by yours truly, Liv Lombardi. That's me and Courtney Ortel and co-produced by Virago Artist Management with additional support from Hannah Barnum. Music by yours truly once again, Liv Lombardi. As always, thank you for your ears and your hearts. If you like what you heard today, be sure to subscribe to our podcast, write a review and share with your friends. Until then, be kind to yourself and gentle. I hope you have a good week and we'll see you next time.